Additional support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Furnaces North America 2020 Virtual, this year's one and only all Heat Treat conference and exhibition. Find out more at www.furnacesnorthamerica.com. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today. In this podcast, I sit down with Joe Powell, president of Akron Steel Treating, to hear what he and his team are doing to combat heat treat distortion. Heat treat distortion has been a problem for centuries. Uh, parts crack, they distort, they come out of the heat treat process unpredictably. Let's get started. We're here today with Joe Powell, the president of Akron Steel Treating Company, who is a veteran in the industry and carries a wealth of knowledge with him. Joe, your company has 75 years of experience working with different part makers, and after a very brief conversation with you, pretty much anyone would conclude that you're a man on a mission to bring heat treating into the 21st century. Before we turn you loose on that topic, First, tell us a little bit about Akron Steel Tree and how it got started. Yes, it was founded by my father in our garage in uh, 1943 uh, at the behest of the uh, Department of the Army who wanted him to heat treat some parts. And it grew along with all the tool and die makers in Akron, Ohio, who were making machinery for making various rubber products like tires and belts and hoses and you name it. Now, you've also spearheaded another company, Integrated Heat Treating Solutions. What are you doing with that company? Well, Integrated Heat Treating Solutions is the culmination of 75 years of commercial heat treating experience with literally over a thousand different part makers. And what we've learned is that if we can integrate our heat treating solutions with the part making design and the optimal material selection, we can produce better parts. Uh, and when I mean what I mean by better parts is they could be lighter, they could be um, have longer fatigue life, they could have less distortion after heat treating. So all of these um, benefits are brought to the table to part makers so that heat treating becomes a fully integrated part of lean manufacturing. And, and once heat treating becomes a lean integrated part of manufacturing, uh, everybody wins. Uh, it enables the use of leaner alloy materials. It eliminates oil quenching. It eliminates long carburizing cycles, batch carburizing cycles. And we now are able to uh, literally do the heat treating in the manufacturing cell where the parts are made. And what are these companies, what do those two companies look like now, Joe? We have about 50,000 square feet. We are in the process of acquiring another building to our east. We have those 48 employees work three shifts. And again, we do salt heat treatment, vacuum heat treatment, and controlled atmosphere heat treatment. And we're currently getting into uh, induction heat treating with our friends at Induction Tooling. And if I understand correctly, distortion reduction and control have been a major focus, correct? For the last 23 years, we have been uh, concentrating on 
finding the best way to quench parts and to drive the distortion out of the part making process. The heat treat distortion has been a problem for centuries. Parts crack, they distort, they come out of the heat treat process unpredictably with size change that is absolutely necessary to get the mechanical properties, but also if it's non-uniform, that size change can cause major problems down the line that have to be corrected by hard churning, grinding, flattening, straightening, you name it. We've also delved into the science of computer modeling, finite element modeling, as well as computational fluids dynamics modeling with our friends at uh, Dante Solutions. And what, what has happened from that modeling is the concept of the surface of the part contains a bunch of grains. And those grains or those finite elements, if they are not quenched uniformly, will transform non-uniformly. They'll thermally shrink non-uniformly upon the beginning of the quench. And then they will also transform to martensite non-uniformly. And that means that the thin and thick sections of a part will have different uh, amounts of distortion and size change. And in order to control that, we've developed what we call quench-to-fit technologies, where we literally build a shell on the outside of the part, whether we're using a gas quench or a uniform salt quench or a uniform water quench. Once you build that shell in the first few seconds of the quench on the outside of the part, that martensite shell acts like a custom-made quench die. And that custom-made quench die allows the part core to cool by conduction through that shell. So if that cooling by conduction happens by very uniform conduction through the geometry and the mass of a given part, you will have a predictable size change after heat treat, and you will enable the part designer to go back to the initial part design and adjust it accordingly so that it quenches to fit during the quench process. When a commercial heat treater receives a part 99 times out of 100, that part is using a material that was selected many, many years ago because that's what they've always used. And it's going to be, and it's going to be heat treated in legacy equipment that's always been used. For instance, um, case carburized uh, 8620 steel valve seats. Mm-hmm. Um, those, va- those valve seats have been used for decades now, and they last about 40 to 70 hours in the, in the fracking pump. But a ductile iron valve seat can be made to last many, many more times longer. It's cheaper to buy the material, and our heat treating equipment can heat treat it in five minutes instead of a 20-hour case carburizing cycle in batches. And that, and that single part flow of that new induction heat treating equipment and quenching equipment that's built into it uh, can be built in uh, right at the end of the CNC machine. I am a commercial heat treater who believes that part design should be integrated for heat treating by the part maker. Okay, it's a it's a nuance, but but what it really boils down to is sometimes commercial heat treaters do it best, but sometimes the part maker can do it better. So the importance of the in the part design process 
of including the heat treater is that you can you can more consistently predict what the distortion will be because you can you can actually if i understand it correctly joe you can actually predict distortion in the part and therefore design the part with the distortion that will come consistently every time you design that part yes yes and it doesn't matter if it's an air quench or a hot salt quench or a uniform water quench it just has to be very very uniform from the initial initiation of the quench in other words you can't take it out of the furnace and air cool it for 45 seconds and then begin a water quench it doesn't work that way that shell is starting to form instantaneously when the heat's turned off and so an air quench is very slow compared to a, an intensive water quench and so you have to introduce that quench all over the part surface shell uh, as instantaneously and with as much uniform impact as possible. And that's what we do. And that's what we do in, in terms of designing equipment to do the quench process. Right now, there are a lot of companies that send you a contract or a commercial heat treater, send you parts to heat treat. Is it not possible that if the part designer and the heat treater talk in advance as they design the part that some of these parts could be in fact heat treated in-house and not not be sent out to a, to a commercial heat treater. Is that possible? They, they could actually be heat treated not only in-house, but uh, directly after the CNC machine, right in the manufacturing cell, right after the forge. It takes the proper selection of the optimal hardenability material. In other words, part of that part design with the heat treater has to be considerations as, is it going to get too hard in the core? Is it going to swell up too much in the core? Is it going to be um, unable to build that shell on the surface without blowing it off because the core starts to harden up? So again, the optimal material selection and the design of the, the mass and the geometry of the part need to be considerations that the heat treater gets a chance to look at. So it's, if, if the part designer and the heat treater get together and talk about the part design uh, before the part is finalized, or if, they, you, if you've got a legacy part, we can talk, if they can sit down and talk with a heat treater uh, that understands what you're doing, and if they can talk with you about how that part might be redesigned, it's very possible that you could use lower cost materials to get the same thing. You could minimize the amount of time, let's say, to actually heat treat, and you may be able to put the may be able to put that part in a in a single piece or at least small batch, possibly small batch flow, so that there's not a bottleneck at heat treat. Yes. Yeah. When we return, we'll continue our conversation on distortion and the quench bell curve. But first, a word from our sponsor, Furnaces North America 2020 Virtual. FNA 2020 Virtual is this year's only heat treat trade show, and it is the first virtual heat treat trade show ever in the history of North America. Happening from September 30th through October 2nd, this event will be live each day from 11 to 5. 
Why, you might ask, should I attend this event? Great question. Consider this. You can bring your entire heat treat department to a heat treat only trade show for the price of less than what it would cost just you to attend a live face-to-face event. Plus, Fred Hamazada, a man who is touted to control more in-house heat tree capacity than any other living human being, is scheduled to speak about the best questions to ask your heat treat supplier when you're preparing to buy heat treat equipment. Mr. Hamazada's presentation is just one of nearly 40 presentations that will either be live or pre-recorded. Besides, even if you didn't listen to or attend any of the technical presentations, there will be upward of 100 heat treat only exhibitors that you and your entire heat treat team can visit in the completely interactive exhibition hall. You'll be able to chat, talk to, or video chat with anyone on the spot. Bottom line, this is the best opportunity you'll have to send your entire heat treat department to a heat treat only trade show. And besides that, it's historic. The first ever virtual heat treat event, ever. Register to attend or learn more at www.furnacesnorthamerica.com. Now let's get back to Joe Powell and learn about the quenching bell curve and a few case studies. Joe, let's talk about the quenching bell curve as it relates to distortion. Well, there, there is um, many, many metallurgists and many metallurgical textbooks indicate that the faster the quench cooling rate, uh, the higher the probability of distortion. So it, uh, so there's a curve that's generated that basically says that if you quench very slowly in gas um, or uh, uh, if you increase that quench rate and go to a hot salt or a martemper bath uh, or an ostemper bath, or you increase it even further with warm oil or uh, highly agitated oil, or you go to a brine quench uh, where you do a polymer or a polymer water quench where you increase the the rate of quench cooling, there is a point at which uh, most of the parts are going to crack and you're going to have major distortion. And it's not because of the quench speed being faster. It is because the uniformity tends to uh, be less uh, the faster your quenchant. So in other words, you need, you need to keep the water from film boiling and creating a situation where the initial quench is actually done under a steam blanket or gas very slowly. And so once the thin sections of the part quench out under gas, uh, then you have the thick sections that are still under that gas blanket and you have very rapid cooling and very rapid Barton site transformations that cause a shift in the, in the size of the part. Uh, where the the shell now cannot contain the core swelling that's happening underneath underneath the surface. So, whereas 21st century heat treating practice is what I call a uniform quench renewal rate and an instant impact. In other words, you instantly impact the shell, create that shell, and once it's created um, with 
cooling, uh, uniform cooling, then the rest of the cooling happens by conduction through that shell. And whatever the geometry and the mass of the part is, is going to determine that uniform conduction cooling, which ends up being very predictable. And once it's predictable, then you can morph the, the green size of the part before heat treating so that it predictably quenches to fit during the quench process. And Dante Solutions has a method where they use their model to model the finite elements in, in, the, in the part so that the thin and thick sections of the part um, quench uniformly. And IQ Technologies and my company, Integrated Heat Treating Solutions, has gone on the other side and shown that it is really a bell-shaped curve and that the probability of distortion goes back down if you can create that shell on the outside of the part instantaneously and then provide a uniform quench renewal rate to the part surface so that that core can cool by uniform conduction through that shell. Right. So let's just put in our, in our listeners' minds the bell curve, uh, you know, a standard bell curve. Most of the quenching and most of the tech bo- textbooks that we see these days most of the quenching is done on the left-hand half, if you will, left-hand side of that bell curve. And as you approach, I think what you're saying is as you approach the peak of that bell curve, the probability of distortion and or cracking occurs. So people are saying, well, don't quench too fast because you're going to get, you'll get, you'll get cracking. You're kind of switching, if I understand right, Joe, you're kind of switching the whole paradigm to say, it's not the speed at which you quench, but in fact, it's the, it's, can you create instant, almost instantaneously a hard shell because of exceptionally rapid cooling on the whole part so that that shell basically holds the, the part in place. If you can get that and then you can then you can bring then you can cool the rest of the part however slow or fast you know in a sense you want right because it's not going to distort because it's already locked in right and it's it's cooling by conduction and the conduction is the physics of the material how fast will it give up the heat through its mass so and again it, it's 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 the difference between um, a hundred degrees uh or 50 degrees or 10 degrees per second of cooling and 400 to 600 degrees centigrade cooling per second. So it's very, very intensive. And so the middle of the bell curve where most parts are cracking is because there's not a uniform quench renewal rate. You start off with a gas quench and you end up with a very intensive evaporative cooling quench with uh, nucleate boiling. And then you end up with uh, water quenching without boiling. And so you have three different phases of cooling happening on different parts of the part. And this is exacerbated by different parts in different parts of the batch are going to see different cooling rates. And so, so it's almost impossible to get the full benefits of very, very intensive quenching, um, or even very, very uniform uh, gas quenching in a vacuum furnace unless you have 
uh, stage the cooling in such a way that you create that uniform shell at the at the beginning of the quench, and you and you hit and you hit that martensite start temperature and cool to that martensite start temperature all over the shell of the part uniformly. That's the key. So, the, so uh, there are several things that uh, obviously jump into my mind about the questions that might arise from people on this. Okay, so you've you've already hit on um, the differences in part uh, thickness, right? You may have thick sections, you may have thin sections. It's very possible to maybe get down to the martensite start temperature on the thin section right away, but the thick section may not be, and therefore you're going to distort because you haven't created that frozen shell uniformly around the entire part. Okay, how about, let's talk about part, not just thickness, but part geometry in the sense of the, uh, you know, awkward curves and turns or lips and things of that sort on parts. How, how do we, how would we deal with that? I mean, well, that's where, that's where new 21st century heat treating equipment needs to be designed. You know, every 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 furnace company that's selling furnaces to uh, either captive heat treaters or uh, commercial heat treaters calls themselves a furnace company. And the reality is, yes, heating is important, and it's it's the precursor to getting the mechanical properties. But the heat treatment is actually done, and the mechanical properties are actually obtained in the quenching process. So it should be called quench treating, not heat treating. And <laughs> we're going to start so, something new. <laughs> yeah. So again, I that's that's the way I look at it. And for the last twenty three years, it's dawned on me. I mean, my dad taught me how to quench um, stamps that were used for marking the inside of tire molds, and these steel stamps would uniformly blow up if you just quenched them. But if you but if you did not uniformly quench, if you were able to uniformly quench the marking end, you could get it hard as hell, and it would last a long, long time. But you had to uh, kind of bifurcate the quench, and you had to make sure that you uh, created that shell in the marking area of the stamp and let the rest of the stamp kind of cool much slowly, much more slowly. In other words, create the shell in the face of the stamp where the lettering is and set those letters. And then the rest of the stamp can um, basically cool much slower because you don't need the hardness there. It's not the working part of the, the part. And so, and then the designers of the stamps also had to integrate uh, the right radius, uh, you know, in the face of the stamp so that if they had sharp corners, those sharp corners would blow off during the heat treat. So over time, we said, if you don't want us to crack this stamp, you're going to have to put a radius over here and change the design slightly. And it didn't take much change, but it did take uh, a recognition of the fact that this is not going to work. There's no way to eliminate eliminate the non-uniform cooling in the shell if you got a corner because yeah, you know steam collects in that corner and it doesn't quench. So you can't create the hardened shell. Right, right. Let's take a little deviation and talk about something non-metal. Let's talk about the Prince Rupert's drop to illustrate residual compressive stresses. Uh, the mystery of the Prince Rupert's drop of glass is that 
uh, glass makers noticed that if they dropped a drop of molten glass into a bucket of cold water, uh, it would form a drop that has a head and then a tail. It almost looks like a tadpole. And if you hit the head of that glass drop with a hammer or try to break it with a pair of pliers, you can't do it. It is literally unbreakable at the head. However, if you snap the tail off, it instantaneously explodes. And that's because there are counterbalancing tensile stresses that are below the surface in the tail that once you break the the compressive stresses off, it's like taking the hoop off a barrel and the barrel uh, stays explode. And the, the elements on the surface uh, just explode. And the reason they don't explode on the, on the drop of glass at the, at the other end is because there's sufficiently high compressive stresses on that surface that hold the drop of glass and keep it from fracturing. Right, right. So uh, we will put on our website when we when we uh, launch this podcast. We'll put the, a link to the video. But there's a it is a fascinating video where you take a Prince Rupert's drop. They actually hang this Prince Rupert's drop and shoot it with a I think a thirty eight or a forty five or a nine millimeter. Hit the they hit the head of that tadpole, if you will. Actually, they show it in high definition, high speed. Uh, photography shatters the bullet and the and the glass remains untouched. However, if a guy just simply takes his finger or whatever and snaps the tail, not just the tail shatters, the whole tadpole blows up, right? What we've been able to do uh, with all of the research that we've done is to harness those uh, compressive stresses and make them available to the um, to the part maker for making their parts more robust, making them lighter, and making them basically carbide hard and hammer tough. They don't chip when hit with a hammer. Joe, let's jump back to some of the projects you've done at Integrated Heat Treating Solutions. Do you have any current projects that you're working on where, where this integrated solution, where you were involved with part design or improvement of part design, where it worked and it worked well? Yeah, there are several case studies. Uh, the first case study was a punch uh, that lasts two to nine times longer than an oil quench punch. A punch for what? What was it for? What industry? Punching holes in uh, metal plates. The other thing that uh, has happened is since we've begun working with um, induction tooling is we're able to then bring this down to the level of thinner parts and more complex geometry parts. And we're able to get more, uh, more hardenability out of lean hardenability alloys, such as ductile iron. Plain ductile irons are now acting like carbides. And that's, you know, even the people that make the material said it couldn't be done, but we're doing it. So can you give an example of that? Uh, it would be a fracking pump valve seat uh, made out of uh, ductile iron and uh, heat treated with our special heating and, and quenching technologies. What was the performance prior to the treatment and afterwards? 
uh, 40 to 60 hours and our initial testing, we got 166 hours. So two and a half, two and a half times longer. So two and a half times better performance on this uh, fracking valve seat and same material. You're using the same material. No, no, we were, we replaced an 8620 carburized steel that needed to be carburized for 20 hours in the, in the furnace. And we did it with a five minute induction heating uh, process. Of what type of material? Uh, ductile iron. Ductile iron. Continuously cast ductile iron. So we got a, pun a punch, you got a valve seat in the fracking industry. What else? Um, we have bevel gears that we do that, um, uh, we, we have worked with the part manufacturer and they've adjusted their CNC program so that it actually quenches the fit and doesn't require uh, a final grind. Right. Expensive, hard, expensive, hard machining or hard grinding after, after heat treat. Okay. Right. And it saves them about $750 per gear, uh, in final grind costs. Okay. All right. Good. And. and 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 the gear lasts longer because it has high residual compressive surface stresses versus a standard carburization process and quenching in oil that does not have as high of uh, residual compressive surface stress, especially after especially after you grind it all off to get the final dimensions you want. <laughs> right, right. So you put all these nice hard stress hard stresses in, then you grind them off. That that makes right, a lot of exactly. sense. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> all right. Any any other examples? We have a, a company that wanted to have a, a weldable uh, gear rack that could be welded on in the field on uh, mining equipment that's out on the side of a mountain and it might be cold up there. And they didn't want to have to pre and post heat in order to weld on, uh, weld on the uh, gear rack or uh, repair a tooth on the gear rack. So they wanted to have a uh, a material that had less hardenability, but they still wanted to have all the mechanical properties. So we were we were able to get the mechanical properties of 4330 from a 4130 material that doesn't need to be pre and post heated to prevent it from cracking when welding it onto the machinery. So uh, they call that field repairability. So we were able to enable field repairability and still maintain uh, the mechanical properties uh, requirements. Right. In future episodes, we'll go into some depth on some of those applications you just described, Joe. But before we wrap up things for this episode, is there a last impression you'd like to leave with us? Professor Jack Wallace did not believe that there was a right half of the bell curve. He did not believe that intensive quenching would work. Um, but, uh, again, he became a believer and, um, and, and again, it's all key to understanding the dynamics of quenching and the uniformity of quenching over time. And, uh, if you get the uniformity, um, you're in good shape. You will basically eliminate a lot of heat treating problems. That's great, Joe. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure and we look forward to having you on some future episodes of Heat Treat Radio. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode. If you'd like to learn more or reach out to Joe, you can go to www.integratedheattreatingsolutions.com or www.akronsteeltreating.com. I'm also happy to receive emails on behalf of Joe. My email is doug at heattreattoday.com. 
We like to keep ideas flowing. So if you have thoughts on what topics we should cover on future Heat Treat Radio episodes, please feel free to send me a brief email about your interest. You can also reach out if you want to be a sponsor of a future episode. This fall has a great lineup of conferences and opportunities to attend online. Be sure to check out the calendar on the website at www.heattreattoday.com under the resources tab, or simply browse our site to see the latest heat treat news by searching for heat treat today in your web browser. We should be the first thing that pops up. Plan to attend Furnaces North America 2020 virtual by registering your entire heat treat department at www.furnacesnorthamerica.com. Don't miss this opportunity. It's historic and it's a great opportunity to get your entire heat treat department up and running. Plus, I'm pretty sure there are going to be some pretty cool giveaways like drawings for money. Again, that's www.furnacesnorthamerica.com northamerica.com This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat today. Jonathan Lloyd is the audio producer of this podcast and also created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. You can see more of his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thanks, Jonathan. Miss Bethany Funk is Heat Treat Radio's editor, and I'm your host, Doug Glenn. Thanks for listening. 